Everybody has a tendency to like hyper focus on all at once, all at the same time, and not realizing some things you can break apart into smaller pieces because they ladder into each other. You only have so much time, you only have so much resources. And if you do these first three things, it allows you better insight as to the decision making for the fourth, fifth, and sixth thing. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you're doing well. I'm taking it a bit easy on the podcast for two reasons. Client work has got me in its grips, and I need to really keep focused on that, and it limits my time. And I've also published five episodes in two weeks, which is over a month of recording. I just don't have the time to make the extra episodes to keep the weekly uh, schedule going. So, Bear with, there are some amazing guests I have lined up uh, for the coming months, so stay tuned. Um, today's guest is Eric Kennedy, and Eric was on the podcast two years ago, uh, back when he started Arcathena. He has been a great supporter of the show. When I asked him if he could come back on, he graciously said yes. We recorded this episode in late September, but then the flood of guests came in and I just kept nudging his episode back a week and back a week. And it felt terrible as it collected digital dust. It's not like I thought Eric was upset that he wouldn't hear himself talking, but it was more in the sense that this is a really rich conversation guaranteed to light off more than a few synapses in the listener's mind. So I just wanted to get it out there. You know, talking with Eric feels like attending a condensed master class in creative planning. And I so appreciate his thoughtfulness on all his endeavors. That comes through in every corner of this talk. So we dive deep into his process on the first six issues of Arcathena and what it means to devote so much time to these projects, these big projects that we take on on our creative life. So, yeah. Here's me with Eric Kennedy. Well, you'll be you'll be scored on a curve by the end of this. Yeah, yeah, it's more like a U-turn. But thank you for having <laughs> me on again. I yeah, I really appreciate it. I had seen the email that went out. Is it uh, two months ago? As far as like the the rebranding yeah. was concerned, that feels really good. Yeah, what do you think? It was. How's, it, how's that working out for you? I think it's working out fine. The hardest part is the unfortunate cessation of relationship um, with with somebody who just doesn't seem to understand how his chosen desired industry works Mm. and doesn't seem to want to play fair for everybody i don't know um Hmm. you know it's tough when people want to point fingers at other people for their their shortcomings in life Sure. And I just, you know, it's very hard to kind of continually deal with that. And, and I just, you know, listen to me, I'm desperately interested in talking with people and finding out how they, they see the world and they view things and create things and how they fit into everything. But, you know, I can't, I I can't make that an unsafe environment for people. I just can't. It's not. It's not healthy and um, Mm -hmm. because everyone's got something to say 
you know, on a creative level. And I like, yes. there's somebody said something, which I, you know, and like I haven't done research on in, in it, but someone was saying like, there's a whole sort of position from a very right wing conservative side. And let's, I'm being mm-hmm. really loose in these terms about their dislike for whatever's happening on the, what they perceive to be the opposite side. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this person said, that's cool that you feel that way. But until I see somebody from that side, create something of great significance and relevance from that point of view, mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. just seems like you're just waving a banner for no purpose mm. and no, like nobody's creating something that is, and I'm not saying that I, I, it could be out there, but I have not heard anybody saying, you know what, this is a really poignant point of view from mm-hmm. this position. And I think if you mm-hmm. look back at really strong pieces of artwork from a point of view, that would, would be a, an outsider point of view. Mm-hmm. that allows people to understand what that is. Those are breakthrough pieces of artwork. Sure. And I just don't see that coming from this sort of anti I'm using the word and I hate this word and I really denigrate people internally for using, but the, that woke, that anti woke position, you know, the people who are mm-hmm. anti woke. Well, okay, mm-hmm. we'll make something, make something so compelling that sure. I'm going to read this and, and, and it's going to, it's going to challenge my belief system and it's going to make me go, you know what? I get this. Yeah. I get it. You know, mm-hmm. and not, not to, not to make me, you know, change my colors of the outfit at that point. It's just a matter of like, okay, I can understand this. And I understand oh, sure. people are upset. I understand sure. people getting upset, but yeah, not at somebody else's expense. I agree with you. And I think there's something to be said about walking into space having different perspectives but at the end of the day having a foundational baseline of like respect for each other if that makes mm-hmm. any sense yeah right i think i think that's you know i think that's sorely missing in in most recent environments regardless of where you go it's so you know things are easier and i think this comes from a very sort of well there there's multiple steps but one of them one of them is People have a tendency to want to make situations as unnuanced as possible because it's easier to grasp onto. It's easier to wrap their arms around, you know, and um, the moment you start sticking new ones in there, it kind of, I don't know, it suddenly you have to deal with human beings as opposed yeah. to like concepts. You know what I mean? Totally. And you go like, geez, Louise, on a daily basis, don't you deal with human beings? And they're like, and it's in, in, an, in an environment that is social media rare do you deal with people right or at the very least the moment the person starts crawling in there you dis you it's you there's a there's an active effort to dismiss the nuance that is that personality because it's easier to like oversimplify something to your point you know i'm awful at that by the way i'm I'm just as awful (laughs) as anybody else I, i had to take a moment to be like that's a human being on the other side. I don't particularly care for them, but you know they 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 are they are allowed to have that opinion. It's a, it's an amazing thing to live in this country to be like, hey, you can have that opinion. I can disagree with you unless it's doing some long term, short term harm towards somebody generally or most specifically somebody I love. Dude, that's your day. You know, you have twenty four hours. I have twenty four hours. Cool. High five. Right. <laughs> Good luck with what you do with it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, 
yeah, and, you know, and I think just because we live in the time that we, you know, you and I can sit in these seats and talk with some sort yeah. of audience that listens or watches yeah. or whatever the thing is, or make a thing that people pay attention to. It is a, it's a confusing time, you know, like, mm. you know, you know, it's almost like it was safer, you know, in the olden days, you know, when there were these, <laughs> you know, these corporate gatekeeping systems that like said, okay, well, welcome to Hollywood. And now you're going to make a TV show or a movie. Sure, and sure. these people kind of lived within this bubble and that was the celebrity world. But now it's a very blurred line it of is. Yeah. what is what. And yeah. I don't care. It's the weird yeah. thing. Like all these yeah. people are like, well, you're going to get rid of like a hundred episodes of your podcast. I'm like, I don't care. Like, yeah. I, re I mean, I had amazing conversations with people like you and many yeah. others, but it's not that I don't care about the conversation. I don't care about the thumbs up likes and whatever's because mm. that's not why I do it. Yeah. And like it's 50% therapy. Sure. <laughs> and like 40% research, sure, you know, sure. and 10% sort of kind of, kind of like an expression. Like I get a chance yep. to like, yep. you know, create, create branding for, you know, episodes and write some copy and do some production. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, it's ridiculous, but it's, it's kind of the fun stuff. For sure. For, I, I think you, you helped to underline and, and highlight what you were ultimately one of the key deciding factors of why you continue to do it because you're still having fun doing it. And I suspect if erasing a hundred plus episodes becomes daunting and it's not as sort of like fulfilling for you, we'd be having a very different conversation or at least you'd be having a very different outlook. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, so, you know, who knows, man, I, I, I can't say how much I, you know, the response from the people who I wrote two months ago, and yeah. their overwhelming support of like, I totally get it. Anything you, you know, I'll be there whenever you want to talk. And yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, like, cool. Yeah. So, you know, and it's just like, and the thing is, is like, you know, some people I've talked to, it was over two years ago, like so much has happened in their careers sure. in sure. that time. And like, it's almost like it, the reset button naturally hits. It's like, no longer is it this sort of de rigueur, um, you know, origin story kind of conversation. Now it's, right. you know, like, like, you know, you, you, now you're doing this, you know, like in funny, you were like the first like pro setup that I remember talking with. I'm like, yo, he's got a mic, he's got like a <laughs> camera, you know, like it was this like next level thing. And, but like, yeah. you know, now you're doing, now you're doing your conversations. Like, how is it for you? Like having a regular, you know, discussion. What a great question. Um, you know, it goes back in part, if uh, just in spirit, not necessarily uh, similar to you, just the spirit of it is, you know, it's it's a lot of fun only because it was under this the umbrella of like catching up with my two good friends, right? That I often don't get to see. And as I'm winding down convention appearances, because I'm doing the cost benefit analysis of like being away for four, maybe as many as five days, depending on, you know, how long I stay at a show, I'm like, five days, I could be working on my own stuff, which I'm really putting a lot of effort into in earnest, You're not just in not just in the potential success of it, but also in the learnings and failures of it, right? So like hanging out with them, and somehow somebody's hitting the record button was ultimately my goal, right? Like that was my 
my component. That was my, to the extent of my participation, that's all I cared about. And then these idiots decided to make it all professional style. You know, I was like, <laughs> all right. You know, so I actually challenged them, you know, when Mateo came in, I, I think you were referring to the Inkpo podcast, right? Yeah. So when course. it was just me and Sean, it was literally me trying to just keep the car on the road because Sean's like weirdo suicidal tendencies is like doom closet just keeps crawling into the conversation. So I'm like, Sean, please stay on the road. You know, and we had we had a good rapport. When Mateo came in, it just doubled it, tripled it, quadrupled it, you know? Mm -hmm. But Mateo, again, the professional that he is, he starts looking externally and going, hey, why don't we, if we're going to do this in earnest, invest in X, Y, and Z as far as the polish was concerned? And I pushed back and I said like, Hey, listen, let's not knee jerk into that level of polish, that level of production, if that's not what our intent is. Because, right. and I was very deliberate with them, you know, which is a skill I had to develop to be like, I'm just not going to go along for the ride. Not to say that I was against it, but I just wanted to take a moment and reflect on what we were doing, you know? Sure. Is it just us three hanging out and accidentally having a podcast out of it? And they brought up really compelling, um, uh, really compelling uh, conversations about why that expense, why that extra level of like, you know, presentation was was important. And at, and at the end of the day, I thought, you know, in his, I, and not to say that the our Jamie, our editor, is doing an amazing job. It's not that I don't underappreciate Jamie. I just appreciated Mateo's and Sean's sort of like jab step into putting more quality into the product you know so yeah. in as much as they respect my perspective i was like hey i respect you guys too and if you believe this is going to add that level of joy to you then why not it's such a it's such a small thing but let's just not go into automatic mode because you saw it in podcast a b and c that we have to do xyz you know yeah well and it, it's so it's so interesting how and, and listen i think I've, i mean i absolutely you know sat in that trap for the first yeah. year or so of, you know, of doing the podcast, you're like, Oh, well, they're doing this. We should do that. Yeah. They're doing yeah. this. We should do that. And, you know, and it's funny when you sit back and you kind of just look at the scope of like what's happening in the comic business, you know, right now everybody's doing a remark, you know, a yes. year ago, nobody was doing that, but like now this yeah. new thing is like a new words out there. So everybody's doing it. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it's, it's just kind of an interesting thing how we have all this flow, you know, for you, like I can see, and I like the, I like the idea of questioning something because you have to kind of know what your motivations are for doing something mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. do they align with what this effort it you know actually mm -hmm. is because yeah. if you're putting a lot of energy into something and you know with some sort of like unknown solution that's yeah. a danger if you're putting it in there with this like ridiculous you know sort of goal it, it's another danger for sure um but the beauty of it aside from the external maybe cost that comes to it I don't think there's probably a whole hell of a lot you're doing besides looking at something because you're, you're hitting record to begin with. So yeah. what happens on the end result piece is somebody else's effort. Like if it was you sitting down, like having to edit for six hours oh, yeah, for sure. a week, it's a different game. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I think going back one step and talking about like things that people go automatically into, like I often, add, like you said, like you were seeing this trend of like remarks on on pieces of artwork that somehow somehow indicates there's a higher level of value to that purchase for somebody. And I think to myself, like, 
does it or is that because that is that a standard that's been established for you and you, you're just rolling along and it's by the way neither is wrong right neither right. is just like hey this person is doing it and therefore i'm doing it and i'm getting some kind of value out of it i'm curious to always like dig into like are you thinking about why that works for you and, and the reason why i bring it up is when i'm doing my own self-publishing ventures and i remember i reached out to as many people who were successful in this space and they said to me wow we have that you have this amazing tool that's available to you now and it's called youtube you know as far as in making people aware of you know your campaigns your efforts you as a personality who they're supporting and what capacity they should be supporting blah 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 the entire list and then i tried it you know and i was like Jeez Louise, I'm not cut out for this. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. basically somebody going like, you know, this this amazing tool is available for you now and it's called like ultra marathoning. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know how to run a marathon, much less an ultra marathon. <laughs> and like and, and the other thing that I asked was like, you know, I think you understand the the premise, the execution is this. And the premise is like an awareness campaign. How do I make sure. people aware of what I'm doing, YouTube is um, YouTube is a component of that. But I think to automatically assume that YouTube is the only component of that without reflecting on whether or not you're capable of it, that's why I think a lot of people struggle with it. That's why people aren't naturals at it, right? They launch a YouTube channel, they have a, a preconceived notion of what it should, the value that it should be bringing in, and then ultimately frustrated that it's not bringing in that value. I don't really know if YouTube is really helping, they sometimes say. And I go like, yeah, because you just... You know, you just picked it up off the street and said, "I think this is going to be cool. look. This is going to look awesome in my house." Not realize that you're not taking inventory of what's in your house to be like. You need to be able to contrast that to everything else that you own to see if it's going to look good in that space. And for me, I knew I wasn't built for it. But if the core intent, if the core sort of mission was to bring uh, an awareness to it, you know, to make people. Um, uh, to, to give people insight on like, hey, I'm doing this thing, then that should be the goal, right? Like then building the infrastructure around that, you know, building the strategy around that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what's super fascinating about, you know, talking to anybody who makes something is that their individual approach to this small business. Mm -hmm. And like what you're talking about is, how do I handle my marketing, you know, dollars, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, and sure. whether, the, whether it's a dollar or time, like they're both, you know, a finite resource and you have to go, yes. what is going to give me the, the most return if the action is intent upon increasing awareness, mm -hmm. um, increasing revenue, increasing, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, technique, like whatever the thing mm -hmm. is you have to make sure that whatever you're expending is going to give you that thing in return. Yes. Hopefully plus in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think one of the things that, you know, um, was, can become overwhelming is that, you know, people don't understand how things ladder into each other. As far as effort is concerned, you were talking just now about like where you spend your money, where you spend your time, both of which, again, I agree with that wholly finite resources, but not realizing that, you know, if you employ the right strategy, and this is really, this really has to like, has got, and, and, and people do, might not have the muscle for it. And that's the reason why they don't do it well. But like, if you, everybody has a tendency to like hyper-focus on all at once, all at the same time, and not mm -hmm. realizing some things you can break apart into smaller pieces because they ladder into each other. You only have so much time 
You only have so much resources. And if you do these first three things first, it allows you better insight as to the decision-making for the fourth, fifth, and sixth thing. And so it take it may take time to understand what that strategy is, but to automatically assume that all of these things need to happen in order for these things to be successful, oftentimes, more often than not, that's not true at all. It's just doing that first thing well and understanding what your intent was uh, before you go into it. So for me, it was like, how do I... I, I just just recently I was just at Rose City Comic Con and somebody asked me like, "Do you think that Arcathena is successful?" And I'm like, "Holy crap! What a massive question! <laughs> like, it depends on <laughs> totally. It depends on what component I'm looking at. You know, like if I had a trapper keeper of folders of like what makes up for the success, the metric that I use as a success for Arcathena, I can go into individual folders and say less successful, more successful." I ideally that like this is the 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 you know the high bar. For me, I went in there like wanting to understand what it meant to be um a creator owned, you know, to be a to be in a creator owned space, right? I didn't know. Um, even as far back as when I did that book for Image called Run Love Kill, a lot of that was being handed off to somebody else because I exclusively wanted to stay on the creative side of the fence. And I was like, that felt good. Uh, as, as far as the use of my time, but I walked away from that ultimately not really learning a lot. Mm. So with Arcathena, I was like, I wanted to know as much as possible, even if it meant taking it, taking, uh, taking me away from the creative side of the fence. Although uh, to be honest with you, going back one step and like talking about strategy, I knew that it would somehow just, just based on, um, you know, that previous experience. So instead, I front-loaded a lot of the pre-production work so I could dedicate more time into that learning space, you know? So yeah. in that Trapper Keeper of experiences, I can look at, hey, did I learn a lot? The answer is yes. You know, so that was very successful for me. Did I fail like an awful lot? The answer is yes. But that was also part of what the success metric was, like understanding what the failure space looked like, you know? Sure. I mean, it's, you know, I was having, so I'm, moderating a panel uh this coming weekend whatever the, yeah. the last the last day of september and it's a, a discussion of spider-man about his about his you know sort of characteristics about spider-man sure. and one of the people on the panel is a philosopher focused on the stoics and the other wow. is a retired navy seal officer and talking about it, spider-man that's fascinating that's all that's yeah great. That's yeah. Awesome. So, and I had a chat with the, the, the seal, uh, yesterday, you know, we were just discussing and I'm just and I'm like, you know, the thing is that everyone wants to be a winner, but the only way to really learn is to lose. Mm -hmm. Like the failure is the, is that all. And he's like, Oh yeah, for sure. And because we were kind of centering the discussion around Peter Parker, you know, most of yeah. his problems yeah are often self-induced because sure. he's trying to make compromises and choices for something that he kind of thinks needs to happen versus what's happening. And, sure. sure. You know, and I think, you know, we're, we want to curate a, a life of perfection and ease and coolness, but really it is just scraped knees and chipped fingernails. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to, to phrase that. I think like, the, the intent is coolness. The intent is like this level of gracefulness and sort of like, you know, this effortless, effortlessly, you know, getting through things. 
I think in reality, it's more about the recovery, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I think we are going to attempt to do things with a picture in mind, and things are often going to get away with the idealized version of that picture. One of the key things I think growing as an adult, I'm in arm's reach of 50 now, Alex, one of the key things I'm trying to sort of like, you know, teach my son is, I know you want this, but sometimes like, you know, it's a if you get away in life, getting away with 50-50 of the things that you want, that's pretty awesome. But let's say that it's not that. Let's say you struggle a little bit more, right? Building the muscle of what it means to recover, you know, mm-hmm. having the having an internal safety system that not just compel you to move forward because you get enough L's in your in those buckets, suddenly you get gun shy about trying stuff, right? The thing that moves you forward in you know independent despite those L's, right? Is the confidence that you have the the ability to recover should something bad happen, right? Most a lot of people are intimidated by like, well, I could fail again, right? Sure, of course, and you could just, but you could just as easily succeed again, right? It's the it's the component in the middle, that little system in place. You're going like, if I fail, I know how to I know how to recover well, right? Or at the very least, I know how to like, you know, rather than falling flat on my face, I know how to stick my arms out so it won't be completely flat on my face. Some of my arms will sure. take so spread the impact out. Yeah, exactly. Spread the damage out. I think a lot of people don't know what that looked like because they're so afraid of falling flat in their face. They don't realize they have arms that they could stick out to to brace them for the fall. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of that dangerous um, flip of the phrase where people stop saying, you know, you have a, a, f- a fear of failure and people are like, well, sure. I have a fear of success. Like, oh, okay. Mm. So you're just spinning it to try to make yourself not seem afraid, but you know, <laughs> I mean, we're all, we're all, you're all afraid, you know, and, you know, that resolution of being able to like, the combination of grit to grind your, your way through the hard parts, but the resilience to say, okay, that sucked, get up and try again, but you have to make sure like, you know, because like we're, 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 you know, we're chemical creating devices and sometimes those chemicals will confuse our vision and what we have to do is we have to be able to learn to take whatever that that cleansing breath to pull in so we can start reactivating our cognizant mind rather than our reactive mind so we can okay i need to be able to figure this out and go back in there and you were talking about this you know that that picture in your mind one of the tough parts is letting go of that picture in your mind Mm -hmm. and not to say of saying I quit. It's matter of saying I need to revise this picture because this, this, and this aren't working or that fear of dropping something Mm -hmm. because it's not working. And the concern of what that will look like on an external fashion, like, well, what do you mean? Just, you just stop doing that. Well, yeah, it wasn't working for me, but a lot of people are worried about like that thing and I, you know, and listen, fuck, failing fucking sucks. It's the worst, yeah, you know, yeah, because dude. you, because you, because if you care, it really sucks. Yes. And yeah, failure isn't you all the time. Like failure yes. is a, is a, is a confluence of events mm-hmm. and you can do everything right. Everything right. 
Yes. But the weather changes oh, yeah. and you can't control that. For sure. And that's it. If it's an early yeah, spring, sure. that ski mountain's not making a whole lot of money on the tail end of their season. <laughs> right, right. Again, it's all about that you know, your ability to access that recovery muscle, you know, like mm -hmm. the quicker you get into the recovery space of understanding this isn't working out, the, the, the extension, the strategy after realizing that something has failed, that's the part that you kind of like, it might not, it might be unknown and unknowable at the time because you always opt for the best version of the thing that you plan for, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, it just makes a lot of sense. You want for the things that you want, but when, the moment it fails, quote unquote, it's now going like, okay, so what else can I do here? What is available to me, right? That will allow me to get pretty close to the goal that I had set out in the first place. And I don't know if people access that very as quickly as they should, or more importantly, they've been sort of like, they've been sort of, this is the wrong word, Alex, so forgive me. It's like they've, they've, thought, they've had like the programming to do that well, you know? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the, a lot of the, like the, the emotional, psychological space that I go into has a lot to do with being brought up the way I did, right? My mother, my cousins, the people that are around me, my, my immediate family all had these amazing sort of facilities where it's like, that didn't work out. We can do that better, you know? Or like, we can do that again, but this time do X, you know? And, um, you know, I, I've deal with a lot of people who don't do it as well. And at first it was frustrating and puzzling to me until, until I started going like, oh, I don't think they understand what that space looks like. They've never built the, the sort of like knee jerk muscle or just the muscle in general to be able to get out of that space. Not the least of which the, the mental space that they had to allocate of like not you don't want to open this door to this room, right? But you have to allow for the idea that it exists, which is like, this could, this could fall apart, right? Yeah. But not be led by the nose about that. Like you just go, you just know in the back of your head, you're like, this, this could not work, right? Keep that door closed for as long as you, as you can. And when it doesn't work for me, the comfort is I've accommodated for that thought. You know, I've thought that it may not work. So it's okay. You know, what's the strategy after that now, you know, after I walk through that door, some people don't have it. No, I, I have a close friend who has a, an IT business and he's been doing it for, I don't know, 15 plus years and he really successful and he went through the process of selling the company and yeah. we were having this conversation throughout the whole thing and it was this up and down kind of roller coaster. And then one day we're talking, he's like, listen, I don't know if it's going to happen because my client yeah, a big like one of my big clients might not resign with us, and right. I don't know if the buyers are so keen on picking us up if we don't have this revenue stream. Sure, sure. For next year and ongoing, and he's like, and man, like we had this talk, and he's like, I, he's like, I think, like he talked to his wife, he's like, I think I might walk away. Like after 15 years, rather than this vision I had in my head of selling the company and retiring, you know, and having you know living a good life. He's like, I may, I just may just put the shutter the place and walk away. Sure. And I was like, wow, like that yeah. there, this is a guy who runs marathons. Like he has sure. that mindset of not quitting. Like he just sure. doesn't quit. Sure. And we're talking and I said, okay, well, that's good. And I said, I said to him like, you know, here's the beautiful thing about that. Like you said this and that doesn't have to happen, even mm -hmm. if this, the sale doesn't go through. But the fact that you can allow yourself to say that. Yeah. 
is so much healthier than knowing you can say that, but being afraid to say that yep. and like letting yep. that thing have a power over you. And yeah. unfortunately the sale did not happen. Mm. And you know, I had this, so I bring him right up and he's like, well, I'm hopping on a plane. He lives, he lives, splits his time between New York city and, and his, in his home in another state. And he's like, I'm mm. hopping on a plane and I'm getting right back into it. So I'll yeah. be up, I'll be up there Monday through Thursday for the next foreseeable future, rebuilding the yeah. business and getting it back in shape. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if he would have had that if he did not express that ability to shutter it and walk away. Sure. And it was a huge thing that he gave himself that space to envision other options rather than just, you know, win or lose. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I, I see that yeah. a lot in um, that muscle, that that sort of like burn pathway into somebody's brain. I see that a lot in military people. They're built for it. You know, they've been, tra they train for a version of recovery. And I think they almost, you know, I think that's the reason why it's so uh, effortless isn't the right word, but when, when their training takes over, you know, where it's like, you're, there's going to be instances where this isn't what we would look like when we laid it on the table, you know, yeah. what now in those cases, right. That's when your training kicks in, right. That, that those muscles that allow for recovery, the context of the recovery, this, the solution ends up presenting itself, but the, the brain that goes, I can recover. I've trained myself for what this recovery could look like. Right. Um, I see that a lot in military people. There's a, there's, there's a phrase in special operations called um, train hard, fight easy. Mm, so the idea mm. is that you overtrain to the point where what you actually have to do in the time that you have to do it, where the life is online. Sure. It is you are, your body isn't overstressed. So you yes. can actually make choices rather than just react. And oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a super, so it's a cool. super healthy thing. And the, you know who I tell you, man, the closest person in the comic industry that I ever knew like that was John Paul. Mm, like yeah. John Paul was the guy who drew, like he was done with his pages. He kept drawing, like he would yeah. draw, 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 and always pushing, always pushing, always pushing to the point where I think that his struggle on the page was a, it was it was a just it was a battle of nuance versus a battle of structure yeah for him yeah yeah i think um i i only had my brief interactions with him and i think through a contact high from from uh, one of his better uh, one of his good friends uh, tommy mm -hmm. and uh as much as i could i would always try to go visit you know the only time i would have an opportunity to go hang out with him is kind of looming and or talking with him when he's at a show somewhere and I, you know, I could never, as try, and this is not unique to him, but try as I might, I could never sort of like deconstruct a person's thinking just by watching. I wish I could. Like it, when they're, when they're working on a piece, I wish I could look over their shoulder and be like, oh, he made those, he made that decision because of X, Y, and Z, you know? Totally. And I'm, I'm not the guy that bugs him. Like, why did you draw those five lines instead of like yeah, the 10 yeah. lines that I would typically draw, you know, but watching people work gives me insight into their priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, mm. you know, mm, I love most that. people, depending on 
depending on the kind of art that they're doing, you know, and depending on how they build, that's the most fascinating part to me because it's, there's less guesswork there. You know, some people will approach blocking in areas more than they do the, the, you know, the silhouette or the, the external shape, you know, that to me is fascinating. They're, they're sort of like um, problem solving to get to an image. That's, that's really cool. You know, and like you said earlier, you know, in a completely different subject, like neither one is wrong or right. Yeah. That's, that's the amazing thing about like the creative solution is that all the steps that you take to get there really aren't right or wrong for everyone. They work for you. And sometimes you have to flip the script on your own stuff and go, for sure. okay, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I solve this problem? Like, (laughs) you know, you know, like for me on the writing end, I have to like, and maybe listen, maybe we, we can detail this out into, into drawing from writing. But when I hit a spot in writing there, I have two solutions. So like if I have to describe something, and I don't know how exactly to describe it. If it's like I'm making yeah. something up, um, yeah. like a fantasy piece or a science fiction piece, I'll draw it. Like I'll draw yeah. this thing to yeah. be able to say, okay, well, that's kind of the shape that I'm looking for. Now I'm going to put words to it to try to make it a thing. Sure, sure. Yeah. But if it's story, I'll stop and I will do, I will start outlining at a ridiculously tight amount, like just point, 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 really tight. Mm -hmm. So it allows me to go because it, it stops me from being prosaic and being sort of action oriented. How do yes. I get through this thing? How are, what are the actions I would, you know, yeah. I, I or I, the character would take to get yeah. through this. And yeah. then I'm able to kind of like go parse that and go, okay, well, what works and do I need to move any of this stuff in other spots? But yes, but like with drawing, you know, you're, you're facing that blank page too. I mean, they're all blank yes. pages and you have yeah. to kind of like, sometimes I mean, that layout is just it, it, no problem. You know, you're breaking the story down. you got all the shapes. Everything moves nicely. And then there's those times and you're like, how do I get this specific (laughs) shot? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let me think. Like, I think I approach. And by the way, forgive the remedial way I'm about to explain this only because I know you have so many more notches on your belt as far as writing is concerned. I think I approach writing similar to how I approach laying out a page, right? Which is, and and thankfully there's an editor that de- that deals with me and it's like, geez, Louise, man, talk about like the, the kids construction blocks of like, this is so early. And he, he's very forgiving, you know? But anyway, like I, I look at a layout of a page. I understand the intent and I try to be as clear with what the intent is, if that makes any sense. If I'm leading you to from point A all the way to point D, E, whatever it is, point C, I am making sure that the poses read, the compositions read, and the compositions help with, you know, a baseline, almost subconscious explanation of that intent, right? Mm-hmm. On a visual side, that's easy for me to do. I can, I mean, I storyboard for for animated shows. That's That's not a problem. On the writing end, and somebody had to explain it to me to like simplify because I get so caught up in like, you know, is this, are people going to understand this? Or, or do I need to add a bit more dialogue here because maybe they won't understand, you know? You know, they're like, do it the same way you storyboard. It's like, you understand that they need, here's, here's the context. Here's the mm-hmm. subtext, right? 
what are you doing in order to get in, in order to get there and who needs to be able to who do you need to talk in order to help you know as many as you know the audience the reader to understand what the context and the subtext are and as soon as i simplified again it's incredibly remedial but that's the way my brain works when it came to, when it comes to writing as soon as i started implementing that it would get it got so much more stress-free because mm-hmm. i would check against that metric to be like uh that's fancy i would love to be able to explain that that level of world building but that's not really all that critical you know like i need to move this thing along you know well that yeah and that's the thing like oh, the world building is a lot of that is us trying to show off like oh look yes. at look how clever we can be I agree. and Often, and it's great to have the people around you who can look at the thing and say, I don't think we need this. We don't need yes. this right now. Yeah. And and it's so true because, we, you know, listen, we want our characters to be as fully formed as possible. Mm-hmm. But we have to kind of be like, what is, you know, I think it was a combination of sort of having my storytelling approach sort of deconstructed and reconstructed when i was just starting out with uh golden um used to like sit down and go over my work and go okay here's what you know here's here's something to think about think about this yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. yeah and and then i that kind of applied to when i got into the design world of understanding my attitude was if it is not supporting the core message get rid of it yeah. Because all you're doing is distracting what from could potentially be that clear communication. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that was what this, that whole story thing, and, and not to say that makes it easy to write because yes. I, I mean, I, I was terrified because I think, you know, when you see someone drawing and they, they're sketching and hatching the hell out of like the surface <laughs> or something, but they haven't yeah. drawn the actual character or sure. the thing that they're, they're sure. trying to like do some sort of finish work on something that hasn't even been, fleshed out yeah and i think that's sort of like how my mind went when i started thinking like well let me write this i was starting to like get worried about what the words were about the care what the characters would say like not realizing that's not the story the story is what's happening in action on the page and moving towards thing the characters the words are your chance as the writer to act Mm. you know the artist is getting their shot at the acting through the actual you know composition and character drawings yeah 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 for me with the writing the overwriting came from um a lot of insecurity right i'm like writing because i want to show people quote unquote you know the, the 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 conceptual people and not the actual people like hey i can write too you know because it's the first time i've ever had have ever had to take on writing chores and it's a really common pitfall to overwrite something, you know, um, and knowing when that line is where like you've communicated enough information. As a matter of fact, it doesn't stop just at this writing. Eric, you're going to end up drawing this. So if there's <laughs> any way that you can draw the bit that you're writing about, then that just saves so much real estate on the page, you know, than to have it be delivered through caption or dialogue. And I thought like, and I still to this day, I am Alex, I am five, you know, I'm going through a dialogue pass on book six right now of this six issue miniseries, right? I am still overriding the hell out of something, you know, because like I literally, it, this just happened. Joe, this guy named Joe Fulton, who's my editor. There's a bit where 
you know, they're riding on this craft dig that gets like attacked by a giant mecha kaiju, right? Splitting it like in half. And all, all my main protagonists all sort of like come filing out. And I have it in the script. I drew it. I drew them all just flying out of this thing that's, you know, exploding behind them. And in the dialogue, in the dialogue pass, in, this, in the dialogue script pass, I have one of the character go, everybody out. And Joe <laughs> yeah, looked totally. at that and goes like, <laughs> why did you write that? Like, why did you have somebody say it out loud? You know, like, are, are, you, are you like, so, so he, he, you know, I, I think the thing there is like, if it's a supplementary where it's unclear that that's what they're doing, right? That they're jumping out of something because I chose the wrong shot, right? I chose the wrong composition. Potentially the drawings were very unclear, whatever it was. Like you add that because you want to handhold the reader to like, oh, that's what they're doing. They're, they're getting out of this, blah, blah, blah. I literally drew the shot that he's saying everybody out on. That is a level of one, sort of just like the novice, uh, just the novice nature of me writing for the first time, but also like overcompensating because in my head, it sounded so cool. You sure. Know, that, the, right. that the main guy is saying, and there's, and there's room for that, obviously. But Joe's looking at it from a perspective of like conserving as much of the visual experience as possible, Right. And if there's any way that we cannot take them out of the reader out of that immersive space by having them like dart their eye to a bubble that they're already receiving that piece of information in the drawing, then why mm -hmm. did you do it? So I'm still running into sort of those landmines myself, you know, I, you know, and I, I, I get that. And I see that, you know, I read a bunch of people who are, you know, newer to writing their own scripts for their own stories. And that is a common thing. I think that overlap kind of happens. And mm -hmm. I think it comes from the area that you you're kind of pointing out. My earliest memory of that <laughs> was watching Super Friends. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene with Aquaman swimming. So Aquaman is swimming to the bottom of the ocean and picking up an anchor. I'm saying it's an anchor. Yeah. It could not could have been something else. Yeah, yeah. And the voiceover guy goes, as Aquaman swims to the bottom of the ocean and picks up the anchor. Yeah. My, yeah. As a kid, I'm going, but I'm seeing Aquaman See do this. It. Like, yeah. and it's a wasted opportunity to tell more of the story. Yes. If, you know, in, a, in an opportunity, like, hey, man, like maybe Aquaman's got a thought, <laughs> you know, as an independent yeah, sure. being, maybe he's got a chance to do something. Yes. Um, yes. You know, and you're acting. You know, their characters aren't falling out of this thing. Mm -hmm. They're charging out, you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. in poses. So mm -hmm. if they were falling, then that's a different thing. And you've, you've made a mistake, you know, right. but if you, right. but right. if you have them posing, once again, edit out what you don't need because it's yeah. a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's a lot of, but the grander point I think for me is that that level of learning and going back to that whole Trapper Keeper of Folders, that's, it's been such an amazing time learning that. I know it's anybody who's a seasoned enough veteran, and I'm oversimplifying, but that's one of the ex most recent sure. examples. But, you know, like a seasoned veteran would just kind of like, you know, do the whole forehead slap. How can you not see that? But for me, there's value in, in seeing it in application. There's plenty of books that I've read when you when you see like the tips of like, 
you know, script writing from a from a screenplay point of view. They, you you hear you hear that old trope of like show not tell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, when you run into it, you know, you go like, I didn't know that I was telling more than I was showing. You actually need to build this muscle memory to be like, I'll figure this out. I'll tell you a a small little aside that I I ran into Mignola at um, at Rose City this past weekend. And he showed me some art and I won't go into it because, you know, I, I don't want to blow him up. But I saw sequentials from him and I, re- and I remembered this the first time that I started seeing Mignola get comfortable with being a storyteller, right? Not just a scriptwriter, but like an actual storyteller. I would go through issues of Hellboy and I wouldn't see any dialogue bubbles. Like they were just pages of like, him making weird noises because I think that's like Mike's thing is to just be like umph or like gack <laughs> sure. or whatever the heck he says. He says, you know, and there'd be like a sound effect in the background that he drew or whatever it is. But for the most part, he didn't keep it sparse because he didn't know what to write. He kept it lean because he knew exactly what to write, you know. And I didn't quite understand that. So when I saw these most recent, you know, images from him. I was reminded of like where he's where he was and how far along he's come as a storyteller, because as I was looking at, it, I was like, "There's not going to be much room for potentially dialogue in here." And I go, "You idiot! He's not going to have dialogue in here. You know, he's just going to let this thing be something that people look at, experience, and be immersed in." You know, totally. Well, think yeah. think about the see, so think about that tr- that that journey, that late '80s, early '90s journey with Mike. He, yeah. w- he did the Iron Wolf graphic novel yeah. with Chaikin mm-hmm. and Craig mm-hmm. Russell. Was it Craig Russell? Yep. That? It was. And, yep. and then he went on and did, or maybe it was right before, I'm sorry, right before that he did Fafford and the Grey Mouser mm-hmm. with Chaikin once again. And then like not too long after he's finished with this is when Hellboy sort of emerges from, you know, from his yeah. brain. Yeah. And he, you know, he did enlisted John Byrne to be the yep. scripter for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think what we were discussing about that sort of that fear when it comes to writing and all the words yeah. Yeah. that I think that Mike was, you know, coming off the heels of Howard, who's not afraid to put words down, but he's not sort of he's not of the 70s verbosity, but he he he'll put the dialogue down. Which maybe internally, Mike is like, I don't think that way. So when it came to the thing of like, I'm making a comic book, I need someone who's going to help me make a comic book, a comic book, which means Mm -hmm. it has to have word balloons in it full of words. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. John probably steps in, but John is capable of looking at it and going like, you're telling the story. I don't need to have words of this. For sure. You can do this. You got this. Yeah. Yeah. They did a lot of heavy lifting in Hellboy 1, you know, where it's like even as much exposition as there was in contrast to later offerings, like you needed to get that out of the way to have a better understanding of the space, that the world that they're trying to build, right? The space that they're trying to operate in. Because afterwards, you just see, I I, I never asked, but you can just see like, they must have just been looking at the script going like, don't, don't put that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're just crossing things out. Like, don't that I know that potentially could be a caption, like it would be an Hellboy one. But by the time they got like to Wolves or whatever, I could just there's no captions. He just lets the scene breathe. 
you just get to, to see the pretty picture, you know, like as much black as he puts into it. You just, you just focus on lighting and composition and then the characters talk when they need to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, and it, the brilliance is, of course, creating your own world that that supports that. It would be hard to do that. I mean, listen, it'd be great to see an Avengers comic book done that way. I would love to see yeah. like a, a really pared down sort of like experience. So, like when you see, you know, that sort of kind of first person um you know, tr- movies that were done for a while. There's a lot of people running and breathing heavily, you know, not a lot sure. of talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, it really puts you in that moment. And it's kind of a cool thing. Like that's kind of what Mike does in his his comics. Yeah. Is sure. he's putting sure. he's putting you in there because like, you know, I was saying you get rid of everything that doesn't support the message. Well, that's he's the king of it. Like he and yeah, Mobius sure are the kings of like, how do I, uh, in Toth, like Toth, like these guys like reduce stuff to the point of clarity. What is the most important thing? Let's take care of it. And the execution is completely different on all three accounts. Like none of them are doing it in the same way, but they don't want to clutter the world of the story with the world of the art. Like it is all about keeping it, keeping it beautiful and tight. Yeah, I think they understand this space that they're operating in too. You know, they're like, it's a visual medium. If I do my job well, I'll draw the thing that I need you to understand, right? I think there's a lot of stuff that gets sort of like, you know, you put things back on the table because you choose to cover up your inadequacies about not being able to communicate story in the most succinct way possible, you know? Totally, and, totally, uh, dude. And I'm, uh, listen, I say that with like a level of authority, knowing full well, I'm just as guilty as anybody because in most recent times, like I'm trying to draw comics faster, faster in in a sense, in, in context to how, how quickly I draw it. And I think I move along pretty quickly considering the detail that I put it. But just recently I've been pairing, like I'm doing the exercise of storyboarding again, where I don't have time to worry about like excess detail. I just need to be able to communicate intent through composition, posing, acting, that whole bit, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm unhappy with it because it's not a comic, it's a storyboard, right? So storyboard, the, the final execution of what I do for animation or what I do for film gets interpreted by multiple, you know, stops along the way, landing in whatever the the, the presentation version of it is. But if I were just to storyboard my way through comics, I'm unhappy with the final product because it doesn't have, with with the broadest definition, like the kind of polish that I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, it should have. So the the exercise that I had to go through recently is like, what is that level of polish without having to go through, you know, the nth degree that I did for the first six issues or whatever, but still be happy and still consider it to be like, you know, um, uh, an expression of my work. Right. And boy, that's been a lot of, that's been tough, but in the best way possible, because then I'm in discovery mode again. I think when when I'll I'll step away from it is when I'm not learning anymore, or I'm not setting up challenges for myself anymore, which is like really super important for me. I think I figured that out recently. We're in a context shift, but like, right, just recently figured that out in like earlier this year, sometime in March, March, April, where I would get up and I was <laughs> my like, I'd be sipping coffee and my wife would walk in and she's like, good morning. And my opening line is like, I think I'm depressed, you know, <laughs> and it's because like, 
I didn't put a challenge in front of myself. I was in post-production mode for Arc Athena where I was diff wearing different, really engaging um, educational hats, like from being art director to the colorist, doing a, a script pass, doing, but on the art end, which is where, where I find a lot of joy, I didn't set something up to draw, right? So I was mm. in a different headspace. And because I was almost accidentally not fulfilling that part of myself, there was a vacuum, right? There was this thing where I was like, oh, I need that. And after a couple of months of reflecting, I was like, I need to plan out the thing that I'm going to do next, not just fall ass backwards in the things that I, that I have to do, if that makes any sense. I need to go do this. I have to go do this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of my one of my ongoing <clears throat> beliefs in life that I I don't know when I sort of adopting this thing, but like I felt like I felt for a long time and I still do that we could solve most of our problems as a nation if we started a class called Want and Need that starts oh, in sure. kindergarten and goes through twelfth grade. Sure. By the time by the time you graduate, like you have a very strong understanding of want and need for yourself and for yes. the world and yeah, yeah. and to have enough of a you know a geiger counter in your own system to be aware of okay wait something's not right why is it why is it not right and then do that sort of dis discovery mode of like okay what yeah. is causing this what is the source and how do i do it? and then to say okay I can't change this moment. I can't change the events that led to this moment, but I can say, okay, moving forward, I can create yes. the things that are going to be able to create a structure that's going to make yeah. my experience hopefully more fulfilling in the long run. Right. Or at the very least, I come up with a true solution as opposed to a convenient one. And I think you understand like that, that level of nuance, like, like a convenient solution was, would be to go and distract myself so I don't think about that thing that's yes. causing me that level of like emptiness and like dullness. The true solution is getting to the root of the thing that's causing that and understanding, oh, I have to be engaged creatively in some capacity because the other, the other way, right, which is like the, the looking for distraction, it gives me a level of fulfillment in as much as like chocolate does when you're hungry. You're like, oh, that, that tastes really good. But it has no long-term value as far as nutrition. You know, it's a nice little treat. But people have a tendency to just keep looking for chocolate. You know, the harder thing to do is to step back and go like, what's, what is not represented in my current diet so that I don't feel like shit every morning, you know, mm, and uh, yeah. go opt for that. It may be harder because it may take preparation. You know, it may take a lot of like, well, I need to go find the next project that I'm looking, uh, looking for that like, really will want, will make me come back to the table morning in and morning out. And that takes a lot of time. Like, I want to start on it now. Like, for instance, when I realized that, I was like, ooh, I'm going to start drawing tomorrow, right? <laughs> yep. And I was like, that's not, that doesn't make any sense because the logical thing to do is not just to draw, which what led me to coming back and drawing comic books again, which is I got tired of just like regurgitating my impressions or like my expressions of like pre-existing IPs. I was like, I think I've, I can only draw Big Barda 15 more times and then I'm going to be done. You know, like right. it's no longer a challenge. I'm literally looking for things within that character. Or when people, you know, when, when those who are kind enough to support my efforts in doing these commissions see me do something 
from from a previous piece, they go like, do that again, right? And I'm like, the reason why that was so successful is because I I was experimenting with that piece, like, and I landed it pretty decently. It was quite you know delightful and pleasant, but to now make it the thing that I do over and over again, I find no long term value in that. Yeah. So yeah, for that hollow for the. I'm sorry, go ahead, Alex. What are you saying? That's it is hollow. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no more learnings behind it, you know? And I'm I don't begrudge anybody who continues to do you know commissions. That that's your goal. That's your as a heat-seeking missile, that's your dead center. Okay, cool. But for me, that's the reason why I came back to comics, because I can now start I, I have something to say and I have something to do. And then so now fast forward to being, you know, that moment where I'm like, I need to get back to drawing Arcathena again or Arcathena related material. Let me just go draw. I'm like, why don't you just go draw a commission? Because that's effectively the chocolate that you're looking for. Sure. That's a short term answer. You know, you have, I had to spend time to really understand what I wanted to, the story that I wanted to tell. And that just unboxed just like a, a, oh my, like the big box of like problems of like, shit, what do I? Who am I focusing on this time? You know, like what what are the themes of this next story that I'm trying to tell? You know, what is the and then there's a business component, obviously. A strategy is like, okay, what does this do for the IP as I move forward? You know, like does this give does this effort give insight to any of these characters? There's multiple ways that I could approach it, but just that act of not drawing was so painful because all I wanted to do was eat junk food. You know, like I just wanted chocolate the entire time. And somebody is telling me, actually, no, you've got to cook first. You know, you've got to prepare yeah. ingredients first. You know, don't do the processing. You know, and I think, you know, one thing that I think you, we can also learn to look forward to these things that we maybe we you know that don't feel like chocolate and you know as you get better at what are the other things that you are taking on because you've consciously said i'm going to do this and learn all these other things yeah you know you know six issues is a great accomplishment but you may you know in the you know two years from now you'll be like man i i can't wait to you know to oversee the print production of this because i i, I sure. you know i'm really excited about x y or z sure. and yeah. that's going to be enough chocolate you know like you're yeah. going to go like i'm getting yeah. a substance out of this whole thing and it's it, it, it's a thing you know yeah. um what were the like so not being as broad with the you know success factor but like what do you think your greatest learnings so far, I mean, you're one issue out from completion of arc, you know, arc one. Um, yeah. What do you think your greatest, your so far, your learnings are? Oh, gee. Um, most recently, it's a reflection. It's it's somebody reflected back at me and said, "Like Eric, you're incredibly unapproachable." <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> Right. Um, I work with uh, a couple of guys who in, in this, um, this imprint that we're all under, under Iconic Comics. And there's this guy who I use as a, as a gold standard, a high bar. And as far as like this space that I want to achieve by way of just like, not just bringing in fans, but retaining them for long-term viewership and readership, you know, this guy named Tim. And like, Tim, I hope he doesn't hear this and and think poorly of me, but like Tim just looks friendly, you know, like you look at him and you're like, you want to get a chance to talk to that guy, you know, like he's just one of those guys that feels like 
you know, he's open for conversation. He's got a very warm and good nature to him. So not only do you want to approach him, but when you do, boy, does that pay off. It confirms your sort of like first take about him. You know, my buddy Doug was like, you look like an intellectual and you dress all in black and you have your arms crossed all the time. And I was like, (laughs) all right. You know, like, I go like, you know, you're, you're weaponizing my glasses, you know what I mean? And like my, right. my, my overall, my overall appearance, but it was really, that was, if to, to answer your question, that was one of the things that I'd come to learn was like, how do I breach this? You know, and I'm doing this from, from more, more from a grassroots perspective, right? Going to shows, being pleasantly surprised that people are surprised when people know my work, know my history, but never assuming that they do, right? Like going into a show and like trying to sell this book one person in one handshake at a time. And so with that in mind, I'm always very cognizant of like, what am I looking like right now? Does, do I look like I want to take this guy's money? You know, like- Am I smiling? I like, yeah, exactly. Like, am I just like, you know, doing my judgmental face, you know, when they're walking across? Like, what, is, what does engagement mean for me? Not because, you know, I'm dismissing Tim, but I know that like that works for him, but it's not something I can immediately just plug and play. So what does that mean for me? So that, you know, again, going back to answering what you're answering your question, it's, it's that it's like understanding the strategy of being able to go one handshake at a time, right? Being at a convention and like standing all the time and just being completely engaged when, when somebody looks over and not making them feel like I caught you. Right. Like some people like I've seen that, you know, I've been present when somebody like looks at your table and as a creator, it, they take that as a, as a, it's weird. This, they, they take a different approach where they go like, I saw you looking, come here. You know, like that almost like I threw a lariat and roped you in and now you must come over not doing that strategy. Cause that rarely works. Also that's against the law, but like seeing what they're looking at, and being, you know, and and engaging them in such a way where they feel like, oh wait, this is a, this is a, this is a common thing between you and I, as opposed to being coerced into coming over. Sure. Right. It's, it's like a giant social experiment that I'm conducting on myself, and that's like really, it's been really eye-opening for me, you know, because in in you know one of the more humbling things that I'd learned during this time was that. Nobody's there to set up my convention. Like, you know, I, I work with a guy named Jason Schachter who runs my original art sales in Essential Sequential. Jason breaks his back. Convention in, convention. And by the way, I'm not the only one. Like, for me to say that diminishes guys like Art Adams and like, you know, Jeff Loeb <laughs> and all the other guys. Like these guys who basically st- stood up the comic book industry, Jason represents. So now he not only does it for those guys, but he does it for guys who don't do mainstream work like me and he breaks his back doing it. But you get accustomed to that level of service, right? You get accustomed to those comforts. And you now say, I'm not going to be in that arena. I'm going to play in a much different one. And But your my brain was still trained to show up at a show and have my banner and have my books and blah, blah, blah. Like, bro, that doesn't happen, you know? Yeah, like right. that, You know, at least not in the capacity that you've gone accustomed to, you know, like the the the, the velvet rope being open for you all the time. This takes a lot of hard work. I gotta be honest with you, like it was so like again, humbling, but so fulfilling when it does work. You know, like you sit there and the first person that goes, like, I don't know anything about this book, but I want to hear about it. And they they, you know, you you get this feel. Oh, like you get there's something in their body language that you go, like, they're interested. 
right? Yeah. If they walk away not buying it, okay, great. But when they do buy it, you're like, oh, I did something right there. And the fulfillment of that, the personal one, the psychological, emotional one, because you did, I did something well. I chained a set of words and did the body, the human body language things. I always think like, I'm this weird alien. Like, I'm just like a men in black alien being like piloted in my head. Like when that pays off, there's somehow a, a different value to it than engaging with somebody because they want a commission. You know, it's different. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not lesser than it's just different, you know? Well, yeah, because one thing is something that you've poured all this time and effort and energy and desire into that you want to connect with them yes. through yes. versus somebody who's approaching you. And there's nothing wrong with what the, this, this other engagement is, is, but they want something from you, mm-hmm. which is something special and unique. And that's a, it's, so it's a very different dynamic. I think, I, I I think I have it as well. Yeah. At least my wife says I do because she calls me a robot is I call it focus face. So like when, so if I'm giving you my attention, my focus is on you and I'm not trying to like mask it with smiles and whatever's it is a matter of like, okay, I'm really giving you 100% as, at this moment. And yes. that yes. can look like kind of a deadpan face. Sure. For me. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, it, it's funny. I, and I, I don't look at it like, oh, that's a negative. But to me, I look at somebody and I'm like, okay, like we're connecting. Yes. Yes. There's a value. There is an absolute value to that because the opposite is just as off-putting, which is like, you can't see, I've been at a table before on the other side where I'm engaging with a, with somebody who's like either a pro or somebody who's, you know, whose um, product I'm, I'm interested in. And they can't seem to stay in that conversational, mm-hmm. like, you know, this bubble, you know what I mean? Like they're often looking beyond me or over my shoulder or whatever it is. And it's just their nature. They're not being like disrespectful But there's something about engaging with somebody when they're talking with you, especially when they're directly in front of you and potentially, you know, about to invest some kind of thing into your, into your product. I think it's almost critical that the entire, you know, you just kind of have this, this, this God ray being like focusing on this guy, you know, who's really good at that. Um, I was, this was the last time that I was in San Diego or the second to the last time I was in San Diego. And, you know, have you ever been to that show? Oh yeah, sure. It's a, it's it's so I, it goes without saying to say that it's a juggernaut is underselling it, you know, like as far as like the attendance, the experience, the sort of like just trying to get around. So can you imagine somebody like and the person I'm talking about is like Jim Lee. Jim goes to the goes to the DC booth and just a line forms or I don't know. People are waiting there, just kind of hovering. The moment he sits down, it just turns into a queue, you know. And I hadn't seen him in in such a long time. I work with him over work with or and for him when um, when I used to work at Wildstorm. And there was somebody who was attending the booth, or somebody was tending to the booth. This guy named Larry. And you know, Jim had just sat down. I don't know. I lost count after. Like you know, I, my brain goes, "Hey, there's 30 people in front of him. He's busy." I stopped counting after 30 people. He's just a busy guy, sure. right? And so I, you know. I see Larry, who's basically manning the booth, and I say, hey, Larry, can you tell Jim that, you know, I said, hey, when, when all of this stuff goes, like, you know, when, this t- when the dust from all of this, this signing dies down, can you just tell Jim that I said hello? And I was like, you're nuts. Let me just go tell him right now, you know? 
he goes over there and Jim's signing or engaging with it with another fan. And like, you know, he leans over, Larry whispers something to him. Jim looks at me and he like waves me over. And I, I might've taken five minutes of his time, but it's in such a way that Jim engages with not probably just not me. I felt like the bell of the ball, but I think that was the point, right? Like Jim makes it about that conversation. Yeah. Right. There's 30 plus people in this line, all of whom are vying for a signature, some kind of like experience, something they can walk away with. Whoa, I was there with Jim Lee, Drew Batman, X, Y, and Z. But in that moment, there was no, it felt like Jim, that line didn't exist. And I was talking earlier about that God ray. I joke around with my friends, like that God ray just turned on. Right. Yeah. And Jim was genuinely interested in me, my well being, catching up. Or it was a short amount of time, but he did, he, he did what he could you know, to make sure that that conversation was just between he and I. And the God Ray turns off and it goes back, you know, it goes back to being Jim Lee in front of like a hundred some odd people or whatever it was. But I think there, there's a, that skill, you can learn that, but it's very difficult unless you practice. Right? Yeah, and, and the opportunity. Think about it. Like yes. they, they were, I mean, in some ways, they were like the Beatles in the comic book industry, even though- yes. We have greater examples of sort of maybe more impact in the in the creative legacy of comic yes. books yep. with Kirby's and Toth's and Barry mm-hmm. Windsor Smith's. But, you know, but what happened to those five, six guys is nev- never going to happen again. Like it, sure. you guys Absolutely. are yeah. the kings of comic books forever yes. and enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the opportunity presents themselves with that like how do you behave and jim he's always been a gentleman like he i mean even when i was a dumb college kid he came by my table you know that i snuck into then pay a penny for you know and sat down (laughs) and he came up and had like had that five minute conversation but he wasn't image jim he was marvel jim so he wasn't like the world yet for everyone yes and it was but yeah he's he's super personable and which is why he is where he is Really just, you know, we, we are. So how does that, like, you know, you opened all this up early by talking about a cost benefit analysis of the going to shows. (laughs) And now you're saying like this, these sort of these really kind of like poignant moments that have been super important to you as a learning. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you factor that in? And do you say like, well, I need to definitely keep doing shows, but maybe not shows you know, on yeah. the on the multiple, like maybe two shows. Is that enough? Yeah. It, it's actually not that divining rod. It's more like I've never been to this region of, I've never been to this region of the United States. There were always ones that were built in, right? Like because the nature of it, of them being on the larger size, you're, you're in New York's, you're Emerald Cities and Baltimore's, you know, um, yeah, so those are like the shows in by which it was almost expected as a guy who's doing commissions, being represented by this entity, you show up to that show when you can and when you're invited. For me, I wanted to like, okay, cool. I, I, I hope I continue to have those opportunities, but I'm looking at it more for like, if it wasn't for the fact that people knew me having worked in mainstream, would any of these guys, I'm talking about like the potential, uh, the, the fans, the, the attendees and potential fans in my book, would any of these guys ever know anything about me? Have I ever been to that region of the United States before that region of the world? And if the answer is no, I'm going to go stress test it. Yeah. Right? Because again, there is so much power 
to people who are advocating for the book in on your behalf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And when they are when they do the heavy lifting for you because there is this feeling and it's not it's it's true. It's 100% true that they were it's like, you know, people who are like, "Oh, I I heard of Nirvana way before they became the Nirvana," you know? There is so, that is so powerful for people to be the ones that were like at the from the beginning. They were the ones that discovered it. They were the ones that supported it and advocated for it. and and you know, and as a creator, I hope you never lose track of that. But I think the only, one of the one of the more critical ways that I can help foster something like that is going into a space and by which like I've never been there before, right? And I know there's passionate comic book fans here. Most importantly, uh, comic book fans who support indie creators. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go find out. You know, now there's all sorts of things that are potentially might be prohibitive. Not the least of which, like Arcathena is a is a superhero book, right? But, you know, jokingly, somebody said, you know, are you at all intimidated by the idea that there's this term, this term that's flying around, you know, more prevalently now called superhero fatigue, right? And I go, no, that that doesn't concern me at all. You know, it concerns me in the moment if I make my business model all about what it looks like six, seven months from now, but I'm not paying attention to that. I'm paying attention five, seven years from now when the cycle kicks back on again, you know, and I... I conceptually, my goal is to have a catalog of 20 of these books in tow to say like, you know, so when people are looking to be like, what's, what's, what's in print, what feels good, what's getting the great word of mouth from the people that I, from the people whom I trust, Arcathena will be that thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, I, man, it is interesting to hear how you are not conflating the act of doing the thing with the intention of doing the thing. Hmm. Does it make sense? No, I was about to follow up. Like, how do you mean exactly? Because by saying, I know what my end goal is. My end goal is to have this catalog of work. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have, you know, this level of impact for the people who engage with it. Like you, mm-hmm. you have sort of like have a clear idea what that is versus being all excited because you made a comic book and you made, sure. like, like, you, so, so getting caught up in that moment of doing the comics versus taking that step back and looking at the larger picture of what mm. this, the intention of doing this comic book is for. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. I understand where you're coming from. Yep. That makes, that makes total sense. It's, it's become more naturalistic now where I'm not even considering those two things as two different things, right? They're just two components of the same thing, which is how do I allow myself to continue drawing this thing that is fun? And that's a pretty big statement. One component is hey, I should continue to draw this thing as I'm having fun, but also right. build for a future in which it's still fun for me, you know, which means I get to do it potentially exclusively, you know? Um, that goes, that's, that's, that, that's the, um, the laddering up that I was talking about earlier, where you don't have to have all of the things all at once, all at the same time you work in these, you you compartmentalize it and you work on these smaller goals because the big goal is X, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I think it's often, you know, Hey, I want to get into industry X and I want to do this one thing. Yeah. And you get handed that thing. Sometimes like you didn't have the next step 
sort of envisioned. It, you oh, know, yeah. And I, I can speak, it's awful. I can speak for myself. <laughs> no, yeah, that yeah. was me, man. I, I, I was still in college and I graduated and I got my first gig with Marvel, like right out of the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, listen, I hustled to get the jobs, Sure, but it was one of these things where I didn't know what to do. Like I, I'm like, I, okay. Like I was so focused on doing that thing versus saying, (laughs) well, one year from now, what am I going to be doing? I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about getting the pages done and that's all I was thinking about. Yes. And, um, and that was, that was detrimental, that was detrimental to my longevity as, you know, in that business because I wasn't thinking, you know, you know, like I wasn't thinking like chess, you know, how many moves ahead can you think? That's right. Because I think just the, the nature of the work isn't maliciously doing it, but it's almost like bracketing how far, like it's almost like setting up scrims in front of you that have borderline, you know, 100% opacity or like, mm-hmm. you know, have zero opacity. There's no clarity because what you're worried about now, now that you have this opportunity because you worked for it, now you have like, this feeling in the back of your head that you have to somehow maintain it. And that's true. That's not inaccurate, but it almost takes all of your resource, your time, energy, and resource away from projecting, you know, you, to your point, like, you know, playing that long-term chess to be like right here, right now is what I'm paying attention to because I want to get good at this thing. And then you take a moment to step back to be like, yo, I don't know what my three year, five year and 10 year plan look like, you know? Yeah. I, um, I have an anecdote about that. My buddy, it's similar. It's not identical. My buddy wanted to buy like the, the like then the most recent RX-8 fancy, fancy sports car. Mm-hmm. And he had done all sorts of research into getting it. Just like the, what it would cost insurance, what it would cost on his monthly, the, the way the engine works, just everything about it, the interior, the exterior, all the maintenance costs and blah, 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 blah. He loved that car. And then he asked me, hey, man, I'm finally able to get it. And I said, cool, dude. And he goes like, I might get it tomorrow. And I said, hey, I don't think you should get it. And he goes, what? I've been pining for this thing since freaking forever. You know, like it's effectively my unicorn. And I said, yeah, but once you get it, what are you going to dream about next? <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's almost this cautionary thing to be like, cool, obviously have those dreams, cross, the, cross things off of your list but always build towards something to strive for thereafter that have that level that you can engage at that level of passion and have some uh, substantial return, you know? I can bring that back around to the friend of mine who was selling his business. Yeah. The first time he ever went through this exercise a long time ago, I said to him, I was like, I'm like, hey man, you need hobbies. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, what, right. he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, and so like, he comes back to me and he's like, okay, I think I got some hobbies. I'm like, oh, what are, are they? You know, <laughs> you know, it was like a homework assignment. And he's like, he's like, I'm going to be right. DJ and I'm be DJ. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, yeah, like I can get these gigs. I can get, you know, paid on the weekends. I'm like, no, no that's a job. That's yes. not a hobby. Like you yeah, have yeah. to like know what is the thing that you want to do that you will do regardless of right. financial, you know, you know, restitution. And yeah. You know, he, he did. And I said, like, and the reason I'm telling you this is you need to know what you're going to do when you don't have to go to work. Because yes. I, hey, be great to be able to sit back and have, you know, however many million dollars in the bank and never have to think yeah, about sure. money. But you still, like you said, Eric, you got 24 hours in that day. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, like, that's yeah, super important. 
Yeah, no, I, I, in my conversations with my wife, I often think very generally about the trajectory of what I want to do. And I often, you know, say things like, I just wish I was financially independent enough to do what I want to do. And that's a dangerous statement. Yeah, Because sure. the first component makes a lot of sense. It's very pragmatic. It's very practical. I just want to be able to pay for all the stuff that I need to be able to pay for, take care of my kids, my house, whatever, all my responsibilities. But that second part is so ambiguous that it's not actionable. Mm-hmm. Right. And that drives me crazy that I, you know, that I, whenever I say it out loud, I'm like, that's dumb. You know, like it's like, don't say the first part, come up with the second part, you know, come up with something more clear and actionable on the second part, because it's like it to do to whatever I want to do is so broad. Instead of saying that, why don't I just program my brain to say so that I can draw my own creator own comics so I can, you know, write my own script and run a team of people who draw it from like setting up habits like that have so much more long term impact because they are solid, actionable, and clear, right? Like yeah. saying, do the things that I want to do. That's nice. You know, that sounds awesome in a freaking movie, you know, but in as far as like, you know, things that you put so that you establish good habits for yourself, specificity is critical. Yeah. I fail at it a lot. So I, you know, I can say it out loud. I'm like, that's so dumb. No, 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 no. I mean, like, neither one of us are talking from like a mountaintop, you know, with all this wisdom of like, we never make mistakes, because like, that is not the case. Like, you know, I think we're both pretty open on, you know, with the struggles that we have. Um, But like, knowing what you're going to do after you get your RX-8 is kind of important. That's it. Yeah, that's it. No, it's super, super important. It's really important. If it ladders into something else, you know, if you go like, if I get that, then I can now start doing you know, this other thing that it helps us. And, and not to say that it needs to, but sometimes mm-hmm. those big goals, especially when it comes to, you know, long-term choices when it comes to your career, it's it's super, for me, it's super important to understand what I'm building towards, you know? It's comics, is, drawing comics, especially my comics, it's so much fun, Alex. I'd, I had forgotten the joy that I felt because I turned it into a job as opposed to this thing that I love that just happens to pay me, right? Yeah. Um, so I stepped away from it for a very long time because, okay, well, if I'm going to get, if I'm going to have a job, I'm going to go get a job that actually pays me well, right? So that was a that was a pragmatic, practical, financial decision. But when I, something kept bringing me back to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, what is that? It's not as if I'm enjoying current mainstream titles. They're They're not made for me anymore. And I'd forgotten. And I just realized that it's like, oh, I just really love drawing sequential pages. Mm-hmm. I love drawing them. You know, like there's, it's so, it's so small. It's so like, it seems like such a, like, a, like something that you'd put a pin in, but it's actually the key driving motivator for me to continue what I'm doing, which is like, I love seeing these dumb pages come together. You know, like, yeah, I say that flippantly, but there's a lot, it's, there's a lot of profoundness in that. No. And I mean, for me, like I can see that on the pages, like, you know, you shared, I guess the the first three issues with me and like, it's there, it's on the page, like the, the, the fun, even though the characters aren't having much fun, there's a whole (laughs) hell of a lot of fun, you know, in the drawing, you know, in what is there, you know, and, you know, you were mentioning something earlier about like looking at somebody draw, you know, and I'll carry that further with the idea that, 
that forensic eye, when we look at artwork of other people, of creators, like we, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you do it as well, but we, we take it apart. Like, how does yeah. this get to that final piece? Like, what For are sure. all the elements? So you can look at someone and you can tell when the artwork is something that is, there's a smile happening sure. when the artwork's happening. Sure. And yeah, no, I get it. I mean, God, I mean, I haven't, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I mean, I've written some comic books in, you know, in the last three or three years and it's great because it's almost like drawing them. You know, like yes. I get to go, I get to like go, how can I tell the story that's going to make me have that smile feel good? Yes. You know, without having to draw the damn thing. So like it's, <laughs> I, I, I get that. Like, I know, I know that feeling and it's great when the, when the pages come together and you get to see all that kind of cool, yes. you know, solutions. Um, like I'm going to <clears throat> table for the first time in 24 years. Yeah. This coming Where are you weekend. off to? Where are you going? Well, I'm not off. Right here in lovely Asheville, the uh, okay. the beer city, the beer city Comic Con is, is right. this is the inaugural uh, year, okay. and I, you know, I'm a guest, and it's going to be you know me at a table in so long, and I dug out I have five folio books of comic book artwork that I haven't okay. like that just of my work, and I'm okay. going through it, and I'm like, oh my god, like. What I remember doing, which is not all of it, <laughs> I'm uh-huh, like, oh, wow, uh-huh. like I, I remember having a great time. I remember having a horrible time doing this. Like I can remember sure, all sure. The, the sort of elements of that. And I had to ink up like these two figures on this like double page spread, which I just never finished inking. I'm like, well, that's going to uh-huh. look kind of half ass. So I'm like, uh-huh. so I break out some tools and I haven't sat down like on a piece of paper with ink in forever. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm like, oh, yeah. this is great. My wife is like, oh my God, it's so fun to see you do this. I'm like, I, you know, cool, but it's really strange. Um, yes. But I, I remember it's hard. That's, it's hard. That sounds like a hoot, man. Good luck. Have fun. <laughs> I, I, I hope you walk away like, remembering all the good parts about that interaction and that sort of experience in regards to comics, because I think I, for me, I, I was missing that I was, and that's what doing my creator own book has, has allowed for is that sort of feeling of like interacting with people who are completely engaged in like, just like reading your stories, looking at your art and mm-hmm. like somehow supporting your efforts. You know, um, I miss that. I'm I'm glad that I'm back trying to uh, doing it and finding versions of it. So I hope the same for you. So do you have the the post RX eight vision for after issue six? Yeah, yeah, I'm building towards it now. Actually, it's uh, you know, I, I'm a if it's not evidently clear based on this the the issues that I sent to you, like. Chris Claremont and his run on the X-Men had a huge, a profound impact on me. Big, big dude. Um, yeah. It um, it floored me because what I had gotten used to going into the X-Men were all the periodicals that almost were like, well, I was, you know, I grew up reading DC books, not because I bought them, but because they were my cousins. And DC was set up very differently as far as their storytelling and their narratives were concerned. Oftentimes, they try to end it within the context of one issue. A couple of times when it went two or three, but by the time I ran into the X-Men, it was like the, the Paul Smith, John Byrne, Dave Cockrum run. I was back. I was like, well, I, I actually bought Sylvester's run. And then that's when I became a collector and started just like buying back issues. Right. And so I was catching up to the current story being told from something that was already told X amount of years previous. 
So I like I was immersed in that space and didn't quite understand why it was so good. But oh my gosh, this thing like I care for these characters, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so as I'm trying to decode that, you know, for my book, not just because I'm a huge X-Men fan, not just because like I wish I was as good as that level of like storytelling narrative as uh, as Claremont was, but like I'm also understanding a formula right? He tells the big one, and then he'll take two or three issues where he talks about something off to the side. The most recent thing that inspired me was when he told the, um, the life death story for, and, uh, you know, um, Barry Windsor Smith drew them mm-hmm. for, uh, for Storm, right? Where she lost her powers, she hung out with, and was Forge's fault, and they all hung out at that um, building of his in Dallas, and sort of like, oh, this is a character bit. Yeah. But it gives you insight as to why um, uh, Storm acts the way they do. Their relationships, the the sort of trauma that brought these two together, not just because Storm invented the weapon that took away her powers, but also why he operates the way he does. And it just enriched the next five issues when they got out of that small little you know side street that they took in the story. And I'd realize, oh, I'm going to go do that because my buddy was like, you are so stupid. Why did you open with an alien invasion? Like, what do you do after the sky comes, you know, when the sky is falling? And I go like, if you think about Arkathena, it doesn't, I don't care about the alien invasion. The alien invasion is just the backdrop that stress tests these people and how they conduct themselves under the themes that I set up, right? So it's not really about that. It's cool, but you look, you're looking at the event and you're like, well, how do you top the event? I'm all like, I don't, you know, I, right. I tell more stories about these people and I contrast it with whatever theme that I come up with and, and put them in contrast to that and say like, okay, so this is that, and then it rounds them out and then brilliant to that quote unquote, sort of like, you know, formula that, that Claremont has. He now, the, the reader knowing more about this character now drags that character back into the main storyline. Yeah. And you know, you are showing a significant um event for the characters. Like they are yes. experiencing significant events. So whatever post-traumatic aspect of their lives moving forward, mm-hmm. the readers have those anchor points to go, oh, that was this. I remember that. Like that right. was this thing. Right. So you're not so what you're not doing is you're not doing like oh, well, here's a flashback from like a long time ago. And that's, yes. you know, the reader's not experiencing that. And that kind of goes back to that show and tell thing where yes. at that point you're kind of like, well, I'm just telling them what happened. And not that yeah. it doesn't have place for it, but it doesn't connect us as a reader. Yes. Like yeah. showing does. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I think there's value in there's value in not just in the showing, but the experiencing. I think when you're doing, when a storyteller is doing their job well, the reader, the viewer, the audience are right there with them. So when something small happens later on, you know, the audience calls it out, you know, because they have that context to the, to the character that you built for them, you know? Yeah. And so it's, that's interesting. And as in a small aside, there's a bit in book six, Oh, actually, actually, in the in the middle of book five, too, I think it happens twice, where the editor puts that little thing that happened in X Men all the time, which is like the characters, the story refers to something, and they have that little tiny box, and and Joe goes like, 
as it happened in book, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 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 Issue 225. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, Oh shit, that is so freaking awesome. That That's comics. To, yeah. To your point, we build enough of these things that people do care about that maybe they're jumping on point. They might not have that thing in context, but there's enough of a history in place where they, you want to know more about this thing, go back 20, 30 issues and you'll mm-hmm. see how it reflects on that little, you know, that scene that happens in that book in current time. I love the idea of that. I hope I can get, I, my goal is to continue doing that. I, to me, like it, you know, listen, that, maybe generational but to me that makes comic books comic books because yeah, sure. y- you can kind of go like oh wow i want to know what this is if you don't know what it yes. is so then you go and you hunt it down and you find it out the other yes. thing is is like there's a modern parallel that i'm when you were explaining it it's it's like web design the mm. idea of having as many interlinking pages as possible on your site makes your website more searchable sure yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So it makes for a more sort of connectable and robust site on an external level, which kind mm-hmm. of is what this idea is, that yeah. we're taking the reader and you're saying, there's more. Yes. These are all like, it's a hot, but, but uh, you know, a hot, what am I? Why am I blanking on the word? Anyway, like, you know, you could just, it's, you could just click on the text and it'll take you to where you need to go. And that's kind of like what this is uh, on a storytelling level. Yes. Yes. But also, and and if you take one step back away from that, it's now it, the, the, the optics of it, what it, what it sort of implies is that there is so much more to this world and we can't, we're not telling it right now. Right. You have to go look for it, but it exists, right? As opposed to like restarting it over and over again in which you start, you know, it's like pouring the foundation, building this semi-decent building. And then because it's no longer the building that people want to walk into, you crash it down again and then start all over again. And you're like, but there was, that was actually a really good foundation. You right. can build something to that building that'll make it work. That's the, that'll make it that much more attractive. But I think it has a lot to do with, Number one, just we're not in that space anymore when it comes to storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Legacy stuff is is not being diminished, but it's certainly not as important, if that makes any sense. Nobody's going out there and saying, no, nah, that sucks. It's more like we don't tell stories in that capacity anymore. So when when you and I are talking about it, you're like, yo, that 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 is comic books. You know, it's not done as much, but there, but it is part of its DNA. But also it's it's got a lot to do with I think well, not a lot, but like I think it has in part to do with storytellers aren't built that way anymore. Mm. Everything is in the immediacy of something and how relevant it is right now, not realizing that for for them to make a statement like that in a book like The X-Men, that came from something that happened 20 years ago, Yeah. right? So if you say, don't, it, it's matter of fact to you because it's something that you sort of like culled or inferred from a pre-existing issue, but that thing existed and that needs to be paid attention to. It doesn't need to be highlighted. It just needs to be. It just needs to be paid attention to because what happens is the moment you put that stake in the ground, that now leads into the next generation's worth of legacy storytelling that will refer back to this moment to be like this existed because it, he, people, I think, want to continue. Uh, well, I would hope that they continue wanting to build a better building. But some people are like, nah, I'll just go build someplace else. And I go like, that's one of the reasons why. 
modern comics don't speak to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Modern storytelling don't speak to me. It's, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, and you know, you, you wonder just if this is like, a, do we grow out of it in some fashion and we, mm. we seek other things? I don't know. I mean, it is an odd thing. Um, just in case people are wanting to, you know, punch me in the head. Uh, the word is hyperlink. Just want to make sure that I remember the word is hyperlink. Um, hyperlink, right on. And the other thing was like you were talking like about about those little those little uh, annotations in the panels. I like what I really I would love to see is some sort of like Marvel release of the ed- of their films with what they could call the editor's cut, which would have those mm. little things pop up on the screen. You That'd know, be fun. Avengers movie number one, Thor movie number, you know, you can be like, <laughs> this is referring to that. So, like, you know, that whole kind of storyline that would be For like, sure. uh, get on that one, Marvel, make that happen. Um, and pay Alex's due. He came up with the idea. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Send him all the, send him all the checks. Yeah. The checks, plural. <laughs> uh, well, so, okay. So how do you, all right. So you've got the, you've got the next thing in mind. Are you, you sounds to me like you're structuring and building to, are you going to go right into that or do you have other things that you have to kind of take care of business wise? No, I think that'll be the next thing. I think it's understand. Well, no, actually great question. Understanding the business of it and how it'll be consumed is another hat that I wear in this space. Oh Oh my gosh. It'd been so much easier to just freaking draw mainstream comics. And like three months later, my book comes out and somebody else is worried about like, what the consumption space is, you know, but like, for me, it's like, how do I get more people? How do I incentivize um, more people to come and take a chance on a book that Mm -hmm. isn't anywhere near that mainstream space? It harkens to it. Obviously, I just, we just talked about X-Men for like five, 10 minutes, but how do I, how do I incentivize people to take a chance on this series? Especially if there's this looming cloud of like superhero fatigue, what else is it? How do I, how do I show you that's it's not what you're it's it's superheroes, but it's not that, you know, it's not sure. the thing that you're getting tired of, you know? Um, so yeah, it's it's got a lot to do with that. It's all the strategizing, it's all the strategy that goes beyond behind the scenes to be like, we release this in back and might so that the price point of the each unit comes down. Do we talk about like just like, you know, you're talking about earlier about having a potentially an ecosystem of, of hyperlinks inside my own website. Do I release it there for free? Because I know it'll g- give me the best sort of exposure um, uh, that's outside of that experience, but it's like a casino, you know what I mean? Don't mm-hmm. leave the casino. Just keep everybody in here, have them yep. reading the books that I want them to read, the stuff that I want them to be paying attention to, because on top of me being a, you know, me being a creator in that brand, here are now the products that help stand up that brand, you know? Yeah. There's all of that strategizing that's going on in the background. I mean, you have to build your own ecosystem. You have to like make, you know, you found, (laughs) Hey, I found this dead rock floating in space. Now I'm going to make it a living planet. And that's like, that's the job. And like, it it requires more than just saying, I'm going to build a bunch of houses. Well, there's no air. So how do you get people to live on this planet? And like, absolutely. Yeah. Not just, not just make it inhabitable, but how do you convince people to leave earth and right. get on that freaking planet so that they will take a chance and potentially yeah. this thing just hurdles out of control somewhere you know it's like that's a huge ask from people it's but huge. i've come to find i've come to find in this environment that we're in right now it they're so much more open to it i'm not mm-hmm. saying they were not previously but now that i'm in this space i'm like wow they're really excited for something new to come around you know mm-hmm. 
why, you know, I'm going to offer them this and see what, uh, what comes from that. So that's been exciting. I am a broken record in this, but this is the golden age of comic books. Yes. So when does Arc Athena six come out? Well, we got to get I've got to get to uh, the the boat that has Arc Athena four in it is inbound <laughs> now. As soon as soon as that's all said and done, and we do the 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 dot com campaign for to make people aware that it's available for them, then I'm going to endeavor to release five and six at the same time before oh, wow. end of year. Oh, because I think if you want to talk about like building reader and consumer trust to know that they have all six volumes before like the the year turns out like if i release four now and six or five and six come out before end of year it's going to make everybody's head spin so i'm excited for the opportunity it's just a matter of like you know managing all the other components that's beyond me to fall into place in which we will make that possible but i'm trying to if not by end of year beginning of next right on that's amazing that'll be great um, yeah, I'm super excited, man. Cause like last time we talked, you were just starting, like you were just yeah. getting this thing underway. <laughs> so that's huge. Yeah. Thanks dude. Thanks you for having me. Yeah, man. It was great. It was great catching up with you. And, um, yeah, I look forward to finishing, uh, the next three issues and, dude, uh, I'll send you, yeah. I'll send you things as I finish. So thank you. Cool, man. And, uh, as usual, peace and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.